Welcome to the eGovernance Academy podcast to discover the future of governance. eGovernance Academy has assisted digital transformation globally in more than 130 countries. Our experts will share their insights and worldwide examples on how digital technology could benefit every society. Tune in for the Digital Government Podcast every Wednesday. Welcome to the Digital Government Podcast. I'm Federico Plantera sociologist, journalist, and researcher. And today with me for one of the podcasts that are basically leading up and building up to the e-governance conference of this year, we have Heiko Weinsalu. Heiko is senior expert on technology at e-governance Academy. He has worked in the Estonian public sector for about 14 years. And in these years, he has also like led the strategic management of the national data exchange layer of Estonia at the National Information System Authority between 2013 and 2017. So Heiko, you're the most welcome to this podcast. Welcome to you. Hello, nice to be here. Today we will, um, as I said, like introduce a topic that will be uh, that we will deal with actually more in depth uh, during the e-governance conference that is coming up in May on May uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th. So. The topic of today is what is uh, basically what is e-government without interoperability. And when we talk about interoperability, of course, I mean there is like there are few people better than you to discuss this topic uh, from the Estonian perspective. And so I would start really like from the let's say uh, building block type of question, which is what is interoperability and uh, why do we need it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Good introductory question because this is something why very often in my lectures also kind of start to try to define the basis. Um, I found out uh, and something that talks also to me that interoperability is primarily a capability of using resources, functions of somebody else. So we are also currently interoperable. You are for this podcast using my resources and uh, we have somehow magically reached a common understanding that, for example, we are using the same technology, we are using um, uh, our voices, we are using the English language, and we have kind of unawarely made a lot of agreements by default, and therefore reached out this kind of uh, podcast where we are interoperable and you are using the know-how from me. It's a consensus, basically. Yeah, but not kind of uh, very often. It's not uh, kind of um, uh, a consensus made aware, but rather uh, we do. You know, we are interoperable in many ways, but we do this somewhat a lot of automatically. And it turns out that uh, yeah, as soon as you start to use ICT, this kind of consensus doesn't happen very easily because everybody has their own kind of opinion. Is as is ICT necessary? to interoperability? Um, I would say the other way around. Interoperability is necessary for ICT because as soon as, uh, for example, as this is an e-governance podcast, as soon as a government thinks that the digital transformation would be good, then it would immediately come to the question that uh, what they would be gaining. Usually, like technology can achieve a lot of things, but as the problem with technology is that it must have an owner. The ownership defines the kind of scope that how much a technology can do. Even if you put more technology in one organization, it cannot do more. So in order to actually do more, in order to be more efficient, 
it is about reaching out to other organizations, what they are providing other participants. And when both sides are using ICT, then the interoperability and ICT come to kind of in this kind of interesting point where you need the technical systems to become interoperable. So why do governments as a whole, let's say, as the ecosystem of the different organizations and agencies that act within this uh, institutional umbrella, why would they, first of all, at this point, since we are taking it like from from such a fundamental, like literally uh, point of view, do they need to be interoperable? Do they need interoperability? And why do they need it? I think if you are are kind of a wealthy country enough, then you don't need interoperability. Uh, Interoperability is something that you always or mostly is used to overcome this kind of lack of resources because I am not able to do everything. I, I have to kind of get the benefits that somebody else has already provided. So I must reach out to their goods. I must be able to reach out their services and functions. So this kind of lack of resources is something that usually drives uh, countries and also organizations to kind of more interoperable solutions. And this was ca- the kind of uh, actually the, one of the core reasons why Estonia stumbled upon Ixrod, that uh, organizations saw already that they need uh, data and services uh, from other governmental organizations. And they started to build up projects and ask for funding for those. And the people in the government saw that, well, Hell, we don't have the resources to do all these things at the same time. So we do have to do something smart. And this was the kind of driver or kind of something that gave birth to the road as we know it now. And uh, then maybe like starting with considerations on the Estonian case, since we just mentioned it, but also just expanding it to other countries, since we also made... Uh, we just established a difference here. Like that you established a difference by saying that if you're a wealthy country, then maybe, perhaps, uh, you do not need interoperability. Although we know that it can still serve the purpose of decreasing costs and like uh, and uh, wasting energy, let's say, in quotation marks, and time, um, and making operations more efficient. But uh, on that point, is it is interoperability? In the with respect to creating a digital government and to make to the making of e-government, let's say, is interoperability a prerequisite, like something that need a box that needs to be ticked for a digital government to come to life and to actually take place? I think it. I would say that um, it. It's more about. Free to correct me, of course. Yeah, uh, it's more about what kind of problems do you like to solve. So if you like to solve some kind of problems, yes, you should pick up uh, interoperability because then you can uh, deal with all the kind of organizational uh, issues that relate to how to make different organizations want to talk to each other. If you don't like these kind of problems, you can pick some kind of um, centralized, uh, heavily centralized solution where you put everybody in the same box and then you deal with totally different uh, problems while at the same time you are still delivering uh, digital public services. So the output would be still the same, just you are focusing and you are dealing with different kinds of problems. So in Estonia, we decided that we want that technology wouldn't create us more technical problems. We want technology to create us or expose organizational issues. 
so that the technology wouldn't be an additional burden. And this is what, uh, what kind of uh, led Estonia to this kind of distributed interoperability. While other countries think that we would like to deal with the technical issues. So we pick centralized solutions so that we would be happy to kind of deal with all the central technical issues. So since we are talking also about examples from other countries, and uh, you definitely have like a lot of experience uh, about interoperability, not only in Estonia, not of course like limited to the borders indeed of uh, of our country, but also like in different places in the world. So can you share some uh, country cases, let's say, that you find interesting for the reasons that you choose uh, from or like about interoperability projects that also took place uh, elsewhere than Estonia? One of the latest that I stumbled upon was, um, I don't know if, if it's good or bad, but uh, the latest one is uh, from Mongolia, where um, uh, interestingly, when uh, talking with people, when they told about what kind of platform they have built for interoperability. Their claim was that it is uh, implemented and it's following the Estonian Ixod principles. While looking inside, I would say it was about um, not 100, uh, 180 degrees, but maybe 135 degrees uh, the opposite. So uh, they had implemented something that was very much kind of purpose-oriented for uh, their kind of uh, tasks that had been uh, given to them. And people as technically kind of competent people saw that we can program ourselves out of everything. So they started to develop a program. They had heard something from Estonia, thought that maybe it's the similar kind of thing. Um, so they have been building and working something out, which turned out to be something totally different. But at least uh, up to now, it works. Um, but I have my, as, I'm, as I am a skeptic, I have my kind of considerations and reservations about uh, how long and sustainable it can work. You're a skeptic by nature, you mean? Yeah, I'm skeptic by nature. Um, that's, that's for sure. I, I think there are kind of a lot of things that um, can go wrong and I usually try to do uh, look at the kind of what is the the least or minimal things that need to be done in order to be sustainable. Mm, okay. And uh, apart from uh, Mongolia, so in Mongolia, basically, it, it didn't happen like something completely different. That was the reference to 180 degrees, but almost like uh, almost there, let's say. Yeah. It's but that served the purpose, though. But yeah. it served the pur exactly. purposes. As I said, uh, better services were provided for different organizations. Uh, information data was made available uh, uh, as what interoperability is, making data and services from others available. So uh, from that perspective, they reached what they wanted for. Now it is what kind of problems they are currently facing. And this is the place where I would say that the centralized solution that they have been building is leading them to a specific set of problems where there are not very good, nice exits. Uh, and uh, the Estonian Ixroad, for example, at the same time has led Estonia into a situation where there are different kind of problems currently being handled. So then we can. So if interoperability, in any case, in itself is a 
is a medium, let's say, is like is a means to a goal, which is like providing uh, better public services. But if apart from that perspective, we take interoperability in itself as the goal, let's say, mm-hmm. we like achieving interoperability, we can definitely say that there is not one way exactly. of arriving there. Exactly. There are several ways and, uh, and uh, there is nobody to charge what, which one is good or, good or bad. Uh, or, or what kind of benefits? It's very much depending on the um, kind of what I'm saying. This kind of cultural and society uh, attitude, and and what are the kind of accepted um, things in a in a society. So there are taboos that nobody dares to tear down, and this very often defines what kind of interoperability is at all possible. While some things can be changed, and some in some countries there are options. So it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, oh, no. type of approach. Absolutely not possible no. there. But then what are the... Uh, indeed, like talking about different country cases, for example, what are some of the determinants, let's say, like contextual factors that might mm, favor, let's say, the success of an interoperability endeavor or project? Mm-hmm. I think there are kind of um, two or three things that come to my mind immediately. One is this kind of um, uh, ICT literature uh, skill or kind of how good people are on using computers. Um, I still see currently, even in Estonia, people who think that computers are just very advanced typewriters. So as as soon as there is soon enough people working uh, in the kind of public and private sector who see that computers can do more, then they can start to see this kind of benefits that can be implemented. Uh, they are free to think differently. So this kind of baseline ICT skill is one of these kind of key concerns which defines where it can go. If, there, if the skill set is low, there is heavier tendency towards centralized solution. If the skill set is very kind of uh, common, if, if a lot of people have good IT skills, then it is easier and it is more reasonable to build more uh, distributed systems. The other thing is something that um, I don't have a good name for it, but uh, I would relate it to something that if people are uh, eager to do things voluntarily or do they need a command to be uh, doing something, Mm. and this is very often that doesn't specifically say anything about what kind of technical approach should be taken, but how the kind of governance of whatever kind of solution is taken uh, must be achieved. So uh, some spirit of initiative, let's say. Yeah, something like that. There are those that uh, say that if it's uh, if it's in the law, then it's kind of uh, the holy thing that has to be followed. Some other places, uh, people say that, well, the laws are more like guidelines and we like to be more flexible and we like to like try new things. So this is so different in, in different countries. And, and this relates now to this kind of hierarchies of how well or how badly this kind of hierarchies work in a, in a country. Again, if hierarchies are very good in organizations, then things require more control. Uh, this drives towards specific type of solutions, while if hierarchies are weak, if people are allowed to uh, exchange information and exchange know-how in different positions, 
they have tendency to be acceptable for different kind of easier solutions. But you also, by mentioning uh, the importance of skills and people skills, so basically you're also, uh, I mean, you're referring also to the importance of human capital, let's mm-hmm. say, in the success and eventually also the distribution of tasks, which, but every distribution of tasks in that sense, and also mm, not betting, let's say, but relying also on people's uh, initiative, let's say, in mm-hmm. order to solve some problems or to change some processes also requires a very high level of trust from the higher uh, caters, let's say, like from the from the people in higher in the hierarchical structure. Would you say that then trust within the same organization in the employees, in what they can do, in their skills, and maybe uh, like it, that is also like a factor that might determine uh, or might have a positive impact, let's say, on the success of an export project. Oh, sorry, of an interoperability project, actually. Um... I would say something similar, but not specifically about trust, but rather not this kind of trust upwards, but rather trust downwards. Uh, I would say that the uh, kind of, if the experts and uh, middle management is taking responsibility seriously, then uh, uh, it's the question of if the top management trusts uh, the middle management and the middle management trusts the experts. So if the trust works this way, then there is a kind of very good potential that an interoperability uh, solution would be uh, kind of happily launched and and used. Otherwise, it usually tends to be more kind of, it becomes bureaucratic, it becomes kind of more harder to accept. So I would say this is kind of trust, not upwards uh, the top management, but but, uh, downwards. Yeah, that's what I was referring to indeed, because maybe like uh, some listeners might, might, might think and some people might say, okay, but like, of course, uh, the, uh, let's say people higher in the hierarchical uh, pyramid of an organization need to trust their employees or those uh, below them. Yes, but at the same time, this does not mean that necessarily they trust their initiative and independent, for example, decision making when there are some problems arising or maybe the input that they might give on how a process could be improved. So that was indeed like the type of trust, the nature of trust that I was that I was referring to. Mm-hmm. And uh, Heiko, I will ask you one last uh, question to wrap up this podcast episode, but rather also to lead to the um, the session that will take place at the upcoming e-governance conference, as I said, between May 18th and May 20th, on uh, uh, the on the topic of basically uh, interoperability, but how to make data run and not people. But the question that I would rather ask you is indeed, why do, in your opinion, if you can just hint at that, why do some succeed in interoperability and others don't? But as a side note to this question, there would be what, mm, how can we assess basically the the effectiveness of interoperability or an interoperability project when mm-hmm. we look at it? Yeah. Uh, why some succeed, it kind of has a tricky question because it has two sides. One is like, you're obviously asking why, but the other one is that what does it, what how you define the success so uh, what is a success of an interoperability platform? I think that would be something that I would leave for the governance conference to actually be troubleshooting there and, and opening up what makes a, a, a interoperability platform successful. 
but why uh, some uh, go for it and and some some somebody reaches a mythical success and some don't then uh, i think uh, here the key of this answer would rely on time that uh, very often this kind of progress or success is uh, looked uh, and it can only be kind of verified afterwards seeing that have we done something uh, that has had an impact and this is something that i would say that very often in different interoperability projects this kind of success is measured at the moment we are currently doing this it must be good everybody is talking about we are getting a lot of kind of attention so it must be good while i think that you can measure actually this kind of goodness later so if you are asking again why then i would say be persistent because interoperability is foremost building a stable platform for better services and better services can only be built if the platform is stable so i would kind of like to ask back to you that uh, uh, that why is electricity as a kind of public service so good um, or is it uh, why is it successful because it's uh, darn uh, persistent it's uh, the same standard of how you get electricity out from your wall and uh, nobody figures out uh, other ways of how to do it so everybody who makes home appliances can rely on the stable baseline of how to connect your appliance into a power grid so for a platform what interoperability anyhow is it's about uh, persistence and being stable on it over a long period of time so i would answer it like this perfect heiko and this was like apart from the perfect conclusion to our podcast also a great introduction to indeed also remind all our listeners that the registration is open for the governance conference of this year which again will take place between May 18th and May 20th. And you can register at the website, uh, just type uh, 2020.egovconference.ee, where indeed you will hear Heiko, you will hear the guests that will participate in the in the session that he's moderating, mm -hmm. uh, but also a number of other uh, top-level experts and policy analysts indeed on e-governance. And uh, Heiko, thanks a lot for the conversation that we had today. It was very interesting and I can't wait actually to hear more at the governance conference. Yeah, uh, see you at the conference. Perfect. And uh, I mean, see you at the conference also like to all the listeners of the podcast. And uh, thanks for tuning into this episode and uh, join us for the next one of the Digital Government Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by eGovernance Academy. Tune in on next Wednesday.